We're starting a series today entitled Generations, and it's really important, I believe, that as we look at this, that there's an embracing of, uh, of generations. Uh, as we can see that in the Bible, they talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as almost one generation, but they were actually three generations, and God did much over those generations, but they were so connected together. And in our lives, we recognize that deep down within, that all of us want to leave something and want something to be here long after we have left. But not every person sees it the same way, because people are most likely to leave behind uh, three kinds of things. People are most likely to leave behind souvenirs. Souvenirs are a record of events. It represents milestones. It, it's um, things that we engage in, and there's nothing wrong with souvenirs. But souvenirs only have sentimental meaning. They do not have intrinsic value. Then uh, we will leave behind the second kind of thing, or trophies. And trophies are a comparison, and at one time it is a, uh, recognized as a record of achievements. They show that you were once here, they show that you once did something, uh, and how it separated you from everybody else. And we do love trophies. As a matter of fact, about two or three months ago, I was in a golf tournament with a group of guys, and uh, we came in first place. And, it was, and they gave a really wonderful trophy out. And uh, it had a golfer on it leaning up against a golf club. And I, of all the trophies that I've gotten, I love this golf trophy. Well, what's interesting is that um, Gwen was in a tournament, uh, a golf tournament, uh, probably about 22 years ago. And uh, when I won this first place golf tournament and I put it on the shelf, about two weeks ago, I came back and I looked where my golf trophy was on the shelf. And I saw Gwen's golf trophy from 22 years had come out mysteriously from somewhere. <laughs> and it was right next to mine. Now, mind you that when Gwen played 22 years ago, golf is a round of 18 holes, but her commitment wasn't that strong. So at the turn where you go nine holes, she and her group went into the clubhouse. They had lunch. They sat down for a couple of hours, and then they went back out. And they wondered why that the group they were behind was no longer there in front of them. See, in golf, you usually play 18 holes and you may stop for a minute or two, but you don't go and have lunch for a couple of hours. But she got this trophy and all of a sudden it appeared right next to mine. And I smiled when I saw it. Why? It's because we do love trophies. They recognize an achievement. At one time, we stood out. And nothing's wrong with souvenirs, nothing's wrong with trophies, but I believe that God desires that all of us leave a legacy. And a legacy is different from souvenirs, it's different from trophies. It, it, not, it doesn't just mark something that's happened in the past, but a legacy is something that lives on and it continues to impact generations to come. And so I'm fully persuaded that regardless of where you live, regardless of what you have experienced, that all of us want to find our destiny. And it's easier for me to talk about your personal destiny, finding your personal destiny, pursuing your personal destiny, 
uh, maximizing your potential. It's easy for me to talk about that. Why? It's because when I talk about your personal destiny, there's a tendency to lean in and to embrace it simply because all of us have down within us a desire to pursue our destiny. But when you're pursuing your destiny, what you're doing is you're talking about your future. But few people seek to build a foundation looking at someone else. Can you imagine that if you pursued your destiny, if you fulfilled your destiny, but you did not leave a legacy, what life would be like two, three, four generations from your life? Today, I want to shift your focus from pursuing destiny to pursuing legacy. And it's interesting that when most people think about Jesus, what they think about, they think about his teachings, they think about his miracles. And those teachings and those miracles were really, really powerful. But uh, the amazing thing about Jesus is that how he was able to impact 12 men, 11 men, 13 men, how he was able to impact them. Because if Jesus had not successfully impacted these men, that the gospel message would have died off in the first century. He did not have a backup plan. As John, John Maxwell says it, that Jesus had the law of legacy. And what he left was more than a destiny. He left a legacy. The Bible tells us it's, it's called a covenant. And so um, I want to ask you a question this morning. And that question is, what are we doing today? Uh, what are we doing at this particular time? What are we doing at this moment that people will talk about 100 years later? What are we doing today? In the book of Psalm 102, verse 18, you don't have to turn there, but I want you to see this because we're going to look in Joshua chapter 4 for most of our time today. But in the book of Psalm 102, 18, champions, would you read that with me? Like you know, it is the word of his power. Now, this will be written for the generation to come that a people yet to be created may... This will be written for the what? For the generation to come. And what Jesus is saying, that what you are experiencing right now is not for you. It is not about you. But it is a story that is to be written for a generation that has yet to be born, a generation that has yet to be created. And the story that is written right now, the story that is told, will cause a generation to praise him, to magnify his name. And so notice that Jesus is saying that what you are experiencing, or God is saying, what you are experiencing right now, it's really not about you, but it really is about the generations that are yet to be created. And so when we look at that, that we recognize that it is stories that we are born into. That all of us were born into a story. You were born into a story. I was born into a story. And some of us were born into a bad story. And as a result of that, what we do is that we live our entire lives trying to rewrite our story. Some of you, or us, we were born into a great story. And you know the advantage that someone has when they have a great story, when they're born into something great. That they have so much more advantage over those, those that live their lives trying to rewrite their story. And so as a result of that, what we recognize then is that the story that we are writing today is the story that the next generation will be birthed into. And we ask ourselves, what is the story of faith that's being written? We ask ourselves, what's the story that we're telling? Because it is that story that will impact generations to come. 
Now, in the book of Joshua chapter 4, would you turn there, please? In Joshua chapter 4, they are going through a moment, and, and God is creating a moment that, you know, even uh, that they may not have recognized that it will affect every moment. And so in Joshua chapter 4, verse 1, what we're going to see here is we're going to see a picture of a story that a group of people had heard about, but they were born into. We're going to read it down to, well, let's say, the seventh verse. Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read it together. Now, and it came to pass when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, and the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, stop right there. Let's go back. Notice this, that it came to pass that all the people had what? Completely crossed. All the people had completely crossed. Now, verse 2. Let's read it together. Now, take for yourself 12 men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder according of the children of Israel. Stop right there. Now, what's interesting that he told they had completely crossed over. But then after they had completely crossed over, Joshua tells them to go back in the Jordan. Let's read. Why? Verse 6. Let's read together. Now, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children. And so what Joshua does, Joshua gives us a picture, and he gives us a picture of the story that they were born into. Because the children of Israel that he's speaking of right now, that uh, they were to write a story, that they were to uh, write uh, a story that would be told to generations to come. And it is a people that, have, that know about their legacy. They've received from the previous generation that their legacy from the previous generation was to wander, was to be aimless, not to, but was not a people that obeyed God and moved forward into their future. But they were a people that were content to staying right where they were or going back to what God had delivered them from. And so that was their legacy that had been left to them because it was a generation that refused to go forward. And so this generation had their story. They had their history. And they uh, knew that they had ancestry that was slaves in Egypt. And God had delivered them out, but their mothers and their fathers were unwilling to go forward. And so God now is expanding their story so that other generations can be able to hear. Now, this group of people, some of them had already been there before. They had already experienced what they were about to experience in a different way before. Because at the beginning of that journey, if you would recall the story, 
that they were at the edge of the Red Sea. And at the edge of the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army was chasing them, but yet they were at the edge of the Red Sea. And this time is different than the last time because this, the, the, the last time God opened up the Red Sea and they walked across. But notice this, that this time God upped the ante. God said that what I want you to do is put some skin in the game. And he said that I want you to step into the Jordan first. They saw no miracles. They, they saw nothing about what God would do. But he says that I want you to step in first. I want you to make a, a declaration and a commitment according to what I have said to you. And I want you to step in first. And it, at this moment when they walked into the Jordan, that the waters began to press up or, or they began to walk across the waters. They began to walk across the waters uh, until they got to dry ground. Now, what's interesting uh, to me is that there was a standard, that there was a foundation that they were walking on. And you know what a standard is? A standard is something that you're not trying to live up to, but a standard is something that you refuse to live below. And so at this moment, they walked across on the Jordan and when they get through, notice this, they got through the Jordan. And the Bible says that they had completely crossed the Jordan. And now they're on the other side and they're looking back at the miracle. And then Joshua tells them, God tells them that what I want you to do is I want you to send, go back into the Jordan and pick up some stones, a stone. And I want you to put it on your shoulder and I want you to bring it for, out for a memorial. Now, I don't know about you, but to me... I would have said, God, why didn't you tell us this when we were walking through this thing? God, why didn't you let me know what? Because, see, we could have done it a better way. I could have had some help to bring this stone out that you're asking me to bring out, that we could have brought it out at the same time, and it could have been a lot more efficient and a lot easier for us to do. But why is it that you wait until we get through the Jordan, crossing the Jordan, and then now you ask me, ask us to go right back into the middle of where we've come from. You know what I love about that? Look, look at verse 10. Verse 10 says that when the priest who bore stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded, Joshua spoke to the people and commanded them according to what Moses has said. And they what? And the people what? And the people what? See, when Joshua, when they went across the first time, they, they, they saw that the priest didn't sing. They saw that God was making a provision for them. And the Bible tells us that the people completely crossed over, but they hurried through the Jordan. But how many of you know that when you now have gotten through that thing, but you have to go back? And God says, now I want you to put a stone on your shoulder, and I want you to bring it out uh, because it was going to be a memorial. But they could not hurry with that stone on their shoulder. And so what it did, it required a greater level of faith to say, oh God, I trusted you when I saw that uh, you were making a provision the first time, but now I've got to go back into that thing, that's faith, but then now I can't hurry out of that thing simply because there's a greater weight that I have. And so it required a greater faith commitment from them to come out. Let's look at Joshua chapter 4, verse 10 again. Let's read it together now. So the priest who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished, that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. 
And the people hurried and crossed over. Now verse 11. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests covered over in the, crossed over in the presence of the people about what? Verse 13. Verse 13. Let's read it together now. About 40,000 prepared for war. Now, isn't that interesting? Now, they've obeyed God. They've gone through the Jordan. And then even when God told them to go back, they hurried first. It's like, God, I trust you, but I don't know how long this miracle is going to last. But then now they, God instructs the, uh, the, 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 every tribe to have a representative that go back. And they put these stones on their shoulder, but they can't hurry out now. And so as they, uh, as they come out, it, it, it demonstrates the faith of the nation. But, uh, the faith of their community. Uh, but after they come out, the Bible says that they come out, but they're prepared for war. And, and doesn't it seem that, wait a minute now, God, we've obeyed you, so why does it have to be this difficult? We've obeyed you, why does it have to be this difficult? Why do we have to be prepared for war? Why can't we just, why don't you just do what you're going to do simply based on the commitment that we've demonstrated in the past? Why is it? Do you know what? Every story, there's no story that is an interesting story if there's not opposition. If there's no difficulty, you know you watch some of the movies. In particular, they come out around Christmas time. I love Christmas movies. But you know what? In Christmas, most of the Christmas movies or most of the movies, let's say a movie that you watch, and, and you call it boring when it seems like everything goes right. When it seems like you know the outcome, I know how this is going to end. And, and it seems like the more intriguing a movie is, the higher their ratings, the more people that will watch, and the greater approval that they have. And so notice this, that uh, if things just fell in place and you had no opposition, you had no challenge, you had no difficulty, then it wouldn't be a great story to tell. But remember that God's saying that this is a story that will be written for the generations to come. And as these generations come, that they would see what I have done, and then they will praise me. They will praise me. And so as we look at that, then when God tells them that, I, I, I just get so excited because the, the Bible says in verse 11, it says that when the people had completely crossed over, so they were already over. And you know what, church? I'm fully persuaded that there's going to be a day in the future where children are going to talk to their parents, and they are going to say, tell us about triumph. They're going to talk to their parents and they're going to say, tell us about Fort Bend County. Tell us about the Champion Center. Tell us about the time when uh, the Champion Center uh, was moving and encouraging and equipping and empowering. Tell us about the time that they talked about dreams that would be fulfilled. Mom and Dad, tell us about that time in Fort Bend County. I'm fully persuaded that in years to come that children will ask parents that. And these parents would give them a history lesson and say in the 1850s, Fort Bend was a place of suppression and hate. That they were at the top of the counties in the state of Texas who had the largest number of slaves. And in 1880, that they had more slaves than any other place and that the minorities outpopulated out, out, out the white. And then there was a war that broke out. And the war that broke out in the 1880s was the war called Jay Bird and Woodpecker War. 
and the jaybirds were the wealthy white people, and the, and the woodpeckers were the white people that had been elected by the, by the minorities voting for them. And there was a revolt on. Why? Because there was a parity that people were seeking. But when jaybirds from outside of Fort Bend heard about what was happening, they came from all over afraid that they would lose their heritage and their legacy. They won, and then now uh, the woodpeckers lost. And, and, and now minorities had no right to vote. But then later on, that, that there were a group of people that God brought to the Fort Bend County area. That there were the Germans, there were the Aussies, there were the Czechs. God brought them over, and there was a blend and a diversity that was present. But yet the Catholic Church came to the county and began to talk about love and to demonstrate the love of God. And as they did that, now there were other areas that were being birthed into Fort Bend County. Needville, uh, Missouri City, Sugarland. You began to look all around Beasley. And as they, as they looked at these particular areas, that there was a diversity that came up. But yet, God still wanted to do something in Fort Bend County. And so there were four families that got together. The Malloys the Andrews, the Kellys, and the Grahams. And they were praying knowing that God had called a body of work to Fort Bend County. But there was no access. There was no door. And one Friday night as they were praying that there was no room for them, but yet when they prayed that they, they could see in the spirit every time they called the name of Jesus that there was a crack in the wall. That was keeping them out. And as they called on the name of Jesus, there was a crack. There was a crack. And the water of the word that was on the outside began to flow on the inside. And there was a people that came into Fort Bend County. And God worked mighty miracles on their behalf. And the story is yet to be told. And as he worked miracles, well, what did God do? Well, God heals people that had tumors. tumors. God healed a man of AIDS. God saved families. That the one who came uh, looking to commit suicide, God spoke a word and it created families that would last for generations and generations. The story began to be told. Do you know what's amazing about that? But yet in the midst of the stories that God wants to write, we desire to come on Sunday mornings and we want to see a miracle. We want to see God do something supernatural. We want to see a sign. But why is it that the sign has to happen in the church where only those who already believe can see it. If you believe, you don't need a sign. The sign is for those who have a challenge believing. And what God wants to do is God wants to take a people who's pursuing their own destiny and shift their focus to create a legacy where generations will come afterwards and they will hear the story and they would praise the Lord. You know, church, I've been following Jesus for most of my life, and I've never been to Israel. And really, I've never wanted to go to Israel. So, so many people say that I want to walk where Jesus walked. I want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. But you know what? I don't want to walk where Jesus walked. I want to walk where Jesus is walking. And there is something sacred, don't get me wrong, about going there and walking and seeing where Jesus was and walking in the footsteps of Jesus. But you know that Jesus is walking today down the streets of Crab River Road. Jesus is walking today down Grand Parkway. Jesus is walking today on Highway 6. Jesus is walking today. 
But you know where we get the privilege of walking where he is walking today? Not just where he has, has walked. So church, we need to tell a story that people will be talking about for generations to come. Not a story about our own life, our own future, but a story about a man who made a decision and said that, Father, I recognize that it's not good right now. I recognize that there are some challenges and pain that I'm going to have to go through. But Father, nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Not about the destiny that I can create for my own life, but the legacy that you want to create through my life. Where generations will come and they will praise you. We want to pursue destiny, but God wants more for you. He wants you to pursue his legacy. And if that does not happen, then there will be a generation that will rise up and they will not know the Lord. They will not know what he has done. And what was unacceptable now becomes acceptable simply because there have been silent sanctuaries. But you know what? When those went back into the water to get those stones out, it wasn't for them. It wasn't about them, but it was about the generations to come. And church, something is wrong in a nation. We've got to look and say, something is wrong in a nation when we could have someone say that America was its greatest when there was slavery. Something's wrong in America when we have a, a people that are silent simply because they won't write or tell the story of what God has done for you. Gwen and I have a book that we got years ago. It's entitled Sons of My People. It's been over 20 years ago. We were looking through that book, and do you know what we saw? We saw a picture of a man on a horse with a rifle looking down on a worker who was mining the sugar fields, pointing his gun, telling him to work harder. What's tragic about that, it was in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s. Our area has come such a long way, but there's a story that God is writing about the Champion Center, and I believe that what we saw in the children of Israel, it will require that everybody cross. It will require that all of us together do something. He says, God, you know our hearts. You know us. Why don't you do it on our behalf? Why is it going to take 16 months? God, just go on and get it done right now. This is part of the story that God desires to be written. So when we get to the end, there will be people that will pass by that will never even question, wonder what they did to get here. There will be people that will come and they will see their families transformed, but they'll never question who did the lawn. How was the parking lot put in? How did they buy the land? How did they buy the building? People will not even ask that question. But yet, the story that we write right now will impact generations to come. And when we look at it, it's so difficult to wonder and to think about others and to think about generations to come because we really are, by nature, a selfish people. It's just our nature. It's how we were born into the world, that we look for what we can get. But you recognize when you get married that you're not. You can't be that way. Let all the married folks say amen. amen. Those of you that are single are saying that, well, really, really, I never really wanted to be married. <laughs> but you didn't want to be married until she said yes. And when she said yes, you said, I always wanted to be married. And then... There are people that says, well, you know, I, I'm not going to have any children. We're just going to have some cats and we're going to have some dogs. But one day, you're going to give birth to somebody who's more selfish than you. Who are looking at their needs being attended to. And don't care about what you think about them. But there's a voice that's crying from the bedroom. 
Tend to my needs. Give me what I want. I desire attention. Then you recognize that when you get up in the middle of the night, you're not doing it for you. What are you doing it for? Generations 